It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and thanks for uh, allowing us to spend part of your day, part of your time with us. We're going to talk a little bit about the news, then we're going to highlight the stupid, because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to get together, actually, in person with Stuart Varney of Varney & Company. He's been a, a longtime uh, uh, Fox Business uh, reporter, but he anchors this show for a couple hours on Fox Business. So hopefully you've seen him. Interesting chap, and I say chap because he's from the the United Kingdom, but he got his uh, United States citizenship um, just a few years ago. So we're going to talk about his his life and his rise and his life experiences and uh, learn a little bit more about Stuart Varney because uh, he's one of the most influential voices out there uh, when it comes to business and business news. So uh, looking forward to sit down with with Stuart. That's coming up, but uh, let's talk about a few things in the news. I got three things here that kind of caught my attention. Uh, first was this U.S. petrochemical giant Dow. You've heard of Dow, Dow Chemical? Come on, they're huge. They're massive. Uh, responsible company, at least so I thought. There's, they're dealing with some allegations here is that they were, they had this really nice thing they were going to do. They were going to take old sneakers you know, shoes. They could take old shoes. And then they were going to turn them into playgrounds. What a what a great way to recycle, make the most of things. Seemed like a good thing. Everybody was all good uh, with that. But then the allegation is that Reuters, you know, the news organization, they do some good work. They decided to take some of these shoes um, and they put hidden trackers inside 11 pairs of the donated shoes. So he took 11 shoes, put trackers in them. Think of like those, I don't know what tracker they use, but think of like those AirPods or whatever. Turned them in because they were supposedly going to be recycled. (laughs) But guess what? Most of the 11 shoes got exported to some third world countries and they showed up for sale in some other place. They weren't actually turning most of them into playgrounds. They were... They were dumping them off in some third world country and selling them. Now, I don't know if they made any money, just got lazy, decided not to do any playgrounds. Maybe had they had too many shoes donated. I don't know what it was, but this looks really bad for a multi-billion dollar company like Dow. And they've got some questions to answer. But come on, Dow. You, it's a pretty serious allegation. And I haven't seen much of a response and denial from them along the way. The other one that's been in the news, and again, we record these podcasts and they don't come out immediately within the hour, uh, but Novak Djokovic is one of the greatest tennis players that the world has ever seen. He's won nearly 100 tournaments. His winnings are measured in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, He is an incredible tennis player. Um, one of the best, seriously, that has ever been. But he's been denied entry in the past into the United States because he refuses to get the vaccine. Um, My understanding is that he said that he's had COVID, so he has the natural immunity. 
But here he is, one of the finest athletes. If you're going to play tennis at that level and be the world, I mean, just Grand Slam champion, uh, guess what? Uh, you're in pretty good shape. Uh, fine physical specimen. Let's just say that. And yet he's being denied entry into the United States of America because he doesn't have a COVID vaccine. Now, if you come illegally across the border in the South, the North, whatever, even get caught, detained by Border Patrol, you're going to be released back into the United States of America. There's no check for vaccines. There's no any of that. So here's the guy trying to do it legally and lawfully. And you know what? They won't let him in. But if you come here illegally... Oh, yeah, no problem under the Biden-Harris administration. That is so fundamentally totally wrong. So, you know, Governor Ron DeSantis, because they've got this big tournament coming up in Miami, has said, well, can we just have you go to the Bahamas and then come here on a boat? Because, again, the inconsistency of the Biden policies is just wrong. So here's a guy trying to do all the right things. And why is there still a vaccine mandate now? Now that we know that the vaccine doesn't address trans, you know, how the uh, virus is transmitted, um, it may be good for the most vulnerable of our population. But the guy certainly not overweight. He's certainly not elderly. He's certainly not at risk for some of these other things. And he's playing in a tennis tournament. Okay. A tennis tournament, singles by himself off to the side. Uh, You know, he's running around on the court, breathing hard, but he's not in close. He's not within six feet. He's not like, you know, a football player lining up, you know, nose to nose against somebody else. It's the absurdity of this stupid thing. And maybe I should put it, put this in the in the stupid part, but it gets to this bigger policy position about what is appropriate and inappropriate for how we deal with uh, vaccinations and the requirements that we have to get into this country at this point. And then I also want to highlight the budget because uh, the budget is something that members of Congress and our country should be dealing with. Unfortunately, it's been neglected for so long. And I want to try to give you some perspective here, okay? First of all, I think there's just the principle that you got to live within your means. The 50 states have to do this because, you know, we uh, they don't have the ability to print money. But the federal government does have the ability to print money, and it's just become too tempting over the course of time. The problem is we spend too much money in this country, and the debt has soared. If you listen to the show in the past, I talk about this a lot. But the debt has soared to just an untenable uh, amount of money, the trillions of dollars. You know, the president submitted a budget, President Biden. It was more than a month late, supposed to be due the first Monday in uh, February, didn't get released um, until mid-March. Nevertheless, um, the president is going to try to tout that he's going to save trillions off the deficit. Let's just be crystal clear here. The deficit is the annual number. The debt is the accumulation of all of these deficits. And the president has said in order to reduce the deficit, what he's going to do is raise taxes. Raise taxes. We had the all-time highest revenue to the United States Treasury in 2022. All-time highest. And yet he wants to continue to increase revenue. See, revenue is about 20% of our gross domestic product. Take every financial transaction that ever happened in the United States. That's your GDP, the gross domestic product. The problem is uh, revenue is about 20%, but we spend like 23, 24%. 
year after year. We have, in essence, a spending problem. We don't have a revenue problem. And if the president thinks that we're just going to increase taxes on the rich and they'll pay for everything, that never, ever solves it. We have to figure out how to cut spending. And part of the problem is nearly 73% of the budget is mandatory programmatic spending. It's just on autopilot. It doesn't. Congress doesn't even touch it. So you better figure out a way to deal with this. And you know what? Nobody expects the budget to be overnight balanced in one year. But in 10 years, that's what budgets do. They introduce a 10-year budget. The Congressional Budget Office, a nonpartisan group, looks at this over a 10-year window. Last number I'll throw at you is if you go back 10 years, go back to 2013, you will find um, that the budget was uh, roughly $3.5 trillion. So if you're at $3.5 trillion, but now you want to be at $4.8 trillion, um, you can't just increase in 10 years by 66%. So 166% of the 2013 number is now what you're going to... I mean, inflation hasn't gone up that high, and inflation is going high. It's just we continue to spend at all-time record high levels. It's just... It's just untenable. It needs to be solved, and it's one of the battles that we're going to see throughout 2013. All right, time to transition to the stupid, because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. Ah, Well, we're going to have to go back and look at uh, ABC's The View, because one of the co-hosts there declared that Trump had unleashed xenophobia during the conversation about the lab leaks. See, they're trying to come up with all these excuses now because so many of these news organizations and opinion programs like The View came out there and just bashed Donald Trump. They bashed the idea. Anybody who suggested, like John Stewart, comedian, who suggested back in, I think, 2021 that, um, you know, maybe the lab leak is something we ought to be looking at, that that could potentially be what happened. Oh, no, 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 no. They're making all kinds of excuses now. And the latest excuse from The View is that because Trump had unleashed xenophobia, you know, I had to look that up a long time ago, xenophobia, the idea that you're just doing this because of racial things. Come on. No. During a conversation about the lab leak hypothesis, President Trump was right back then. He's the President of the United States. He has the ability to look at all of this intelligence that the rest of us aren't able to see. And he said at the time that he believed that there was strong evidence that it potentially was a lab leak. Now we are to the point where, oh yeah, they should have never set down the social media. They should have never suppressed these stories. And I haven't seen a whole lot of apologies or clarifications in these publications as well. And that's why I think it qualifies for bringing on the stupid. All right, time to transition. Now, let's talk to Stuart Varney, somebody who does know an awful lot about the numbers. But I want to know about more of his life and his rise and his his great success here in America. And so looking forward to sitting down with Stuart Varney. I am so thrilled to have sitting next to me, Stuart Varney. Stuart, this is so kind of you. I have had so much fun being on your show. And the banter that's like during commercial break, it's been really fun. There are some times when I think the banter during the commercial breaks could actually be on the air. Oh, if they stream that. A lot of people viewing, I think. (laughs) 
<laughs> but you're fun to have on the show, and we try to make it. I, I wouldn't say it's a humorous show. It's not like that, but we smile a lot. Yeah, because you know, viewers don't want some angry people fighting about money and politics. They like to see people with a smile on their face. And well, I think that the, the velocity of what's coming at you. I mean, your show. You know, nine a.m. to 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 noon. I mean, <laughs> the whole business day, the whole world is waking up, and and you have things. I mean, it's amazing. It seems like every minute there's some new news kind of popping up and how to deal with it. And you got to keep smiling. We decided a long time ago that the way to put business news in front of a wider audience, you don't use jargon. You don't talk about E3 or uh, what is it? Uh, I can't remember. All this jargon from the Federal Reserve. We don't do that. We simply don't do that. I want clarity. Direct yourself right at the nature of the story and present it in a, a nice fashion that the viewers want to hear. All right, so you become a United States citizen. You got the most popular business show on Fox uh, Business. You're dominating against the others. Um, you love the sport that's, you know, the beautiful game, which <laughs> ranks high with me True. as well. Uh, but let's go back. I want to go to the Wayback Machine. Let's go back to, like, I was born in. Okay. And then kind of walk us through your journey because I'm just fascinated. On on people that have had great success, they're... they're there are inflection points. There's important points in their lives that, and and that's what I want to hear about. Okay, let's start at the beginning. Yeah, born and raised in Derby. That's a town in the Midlands of England, yeah. at 120 miles north of London. What were your parents doing? What was what was my parents? My dad worked in a warehouse, a green grocery warehouse, and he worked there for 50 years. Wow. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, as was the case all those years ago. Yeah. And uh, so that was that was the family structure. Went yeah. to high school. Graduated Do you have from, brothers, sisters? It was big family, I, small family? Okay. I had an I had two older brothers. Yeah. One of whom was killed in an air crash. He was no. uh, a Navy flyer wow. killed in a training accident. And that was in nineteen sixty, a very long time ago. Oh, it really devastated that. the family. Yeah. And, and I should maybe I should tell you this, but a little later, when I was nineteen years old, my first girlfriend was killed in a car crash. Oh. So those were tragedies of my yeah. life. And maybe I did something wrong back then because I put those tragedies in a box inside my head and forgot it, hmm. walked away from it, hmm. never opened that box. Maybe that's not such a good idea because the box leaks. And in later life, you might have some psychological problems because of the trauma that you hid. I didn't have any psychological problems, but at one time in my life, I was drinking far too much. And I think that was possibly due to my experiences in early life. Anyway, moving on from there, let's move on to something more positive, perhaps. I went to the London School of Economics. But before I went to the the LSE, as it's called, I did a year in the British Peace Corps. I worked in East Africa, in Kenya, in a home for destitute African boys. Really? You just think of this. You're 18 years old. You've never been out of England before. Right. You get on a plane and suddenly you're in the game parks of East Africa. And you've got a responsible job teaching youngsters, African, destitute African boys in a, a, a good institution. That was quite an experience. You grew wow. up fast. You know? Yeah. So good that, for I, you, you know, but there's probably so many experiences and vivid memories. And, and, and I think yes. it's important, you know, our, our son, he went and served a, a mission for his church. Uh, in Ghana, 
And he went there for two years, and it changed his life, and it changed his life for the better. And he participated in that service, and yep. I'm proud of him for doing that because yes. it, it really formed him. The, the theory is that being in the British Peace Corps or the American Peace Corps, you are giving to these countries which need that help. Right. And that's true. You are. You're helping. Right. But you get as much out of oh, it yeah. as the country, and there's no question about that. Right. So I come back home from uh, East Africa. And I went to the London School of Economics, which was an experience in and of itself, because the LSE was, and still is, the most radical left-wing college really? in Europe. Oh, by a long way, yes. Yeah. It was founded by socialists, Sidney and Beatrice Webb, uh, way back when. It was a socialist institution, and I was a socialist. You know, I was, right. That's the way it was in those days. So I graduate from the LSE, and I always wanted to travel. Maybe that was because I've been in Kenya for so long. Right. So... I wanted any job that I could get that would pay me as much as possible in the shortest possible period of time. <laughs> sure. I became a bus conductor in London. Really? I was a bus conductor. I was the guy on those red double-decker buses. Yeah. I'd be the guy with a machine strapped on the front. You wind out the tickets, give the tickets out, you take the money in. Uh-huh. Strangely enough, I was a bus conductor on the day that Britain went to decimal currency. Really? Yes. So this was the day up. the old money, the, <laughs> you, you took the, the, the fares in with the old money and you put it into your right-hand side bag and you give them change out of the new money in your left-hand bag. Oh. Nobody understood what was going on. It was utter <laughs> chaos, absolute chaos. But that was an experience. Then I made the money and I set off around the world and I, I traveled around the world for about four years. I went from London all the way through Europe, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Nepal. By yourself? Uh, yeah. Uh, Burma, uh, it was called Myanmar, down into Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, then to Australia. Yeah. I'd met a young lady on the way, and we got together in West Australia. I've been to Western Australia. So Perth. you're in Perth? Yeah, yeah I was in Perth. Yeah. Yeah. 1972. Wow. Uh, that was a frontier in those days. A little bit before the America's Cup and, and that whole... That's right. But before all that, yeah, well, it was yeah. a village. It is beautiful out there. It is. It is. We went to the Pinnacles. Yep. And Rottnest Island. Yep. Got it. Yeah. yeah. I, I really liked it out there. Yeah. And then we literally hitchhiked from Perth all the way up the How West Coast. How in the world do you do that? To Darwin. You got to two thousand five hundred miles. Nobody does that. And there's nobody there. Even today, they don't do that. 1972. It was amazing. We got as far as a town called Port Headland. There were no more cars. There were big trucks which never stopped for you. Yeah. So we had to buy a car. <laughs> I had no license, no insurance. I'd never driven a car before. And we bought an old Austin Anglia, and we drove it all the way from Port Headland. All this is uh, fifteen hundred miles. You look to, at that on the on the map, folks. That's oh. a long, huge. Huge. That's that's crazy. Then we sold the car. What what it, was what was interesting about Darwin other than that's like the only city up in just the north to see it. Uh, it's oh a wild gosh. place. Yeah. It, 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 wild place. No, you can't they, they got the saltwater crocs. Yeah, they They've do. got the yeah. We it, slept on the beach for 6 weeks. Oh. <laughs> and then then we went from uh, Darwin to Portuguese Timor and I bet you cannot tell me the capital of Portuguese Timor. Um well there's East Timor. I, I've been to not. I've been, but Port North, Port Port Moresby. Moresby. That's Papua New Guinea. But that's as close as I got. That, I was just well, trying to show proximity, but I've never been there. I Dili. can't tell you the capital. The capital of uh, Portuguese Timor is Dili. Ah. 
Yeah. And when we arrived in Portuguese Timor, I had to get a cholera shot from a Chinese doctor on the wharf, on the dock. Oh, okay. Where the plane <laughs> so then we, You're still with us. So. <laughs> <laughs> then we went uh, from there to um, uh, 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 Singapore. Uh, oh, of we course. went from Singapore to London. <laughs> uh, we hitchhiked to my parents' house in Darwin, uh, Derby, knocked on the door and said, Hey, Mom and Dad, this is Janet. She's my wife. <laughs> that was a shock. Where did you get married along no, the way? We, do, we, we were married actually in Derby. This oh, is going great. to be my wife, actually. Oh, okay. So then we get married, uh, go down to London, filled out all the forms to emigrate to America, emigrated to America, and I was a waiter in uh, Stratford, Connecticut, and Westport, Connecticut, uh, for a year. What was the attraction to the United States? Like, why Why do you want to... I mean, you've been everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, American. Yeah. And besides, I wanted to go. I was fascinated by it. Right. I'd had American flatmates whilst I was a student in London. That intrigued me. I'd always mixed with Americans. So over we came. So she she's American. She and, is. And so she wanted to come, and, yeah, and it right. brought you here. And yeah. you've been here pretty much ever since, right? Well, or did you go? You actually went over to Hong Kong. Right? I went over again. I we yeah. worked for a year, earned the money, and then went back to London. Went back through Europe, back through Turkey, Iran, <laughs> Afghanistan, <laughs> and into uh, Pakistan, and then into India, then over to Nepal, all over again, and then. What did we do then? Oh, then we went to Hong Kong, and I got a job in Radio Hong Kong, Ngong Din Doi, in the English language service. What did you just say? I, radio Hong Kong, Ngong Din Doi. That's uh, Radio <laughs> Hong Kong. Got the job there. I loved it. That was my introduction to the media. Huh, and then um, I was there for two years. Then we went to San Francisco, and I couldn't get a job because of my English accent. Really? Yeah, I went to all the newsrooms, ABC, NBC, CBS. Uh, you, you can't work here. How can we put you onto a murder in Oakland with a voice like that? You have no credibility. <laughs> so, okay, okay, we're not going to do that. And then Janet saw a little advertisement in the San Francisco Chronicle. It read, wanted entry-level TV newscaster. Ooh, that's me, baby. Yeah. So we fronted up. I got the job. Had to work for free for three months. Wow. It was an early morning business show, one of the earliest in the country. I got the job, and I did it for four years. Wow. And then, miraculously, I got picked up by Ted Turner before he started CNN. Wow. He uh, flew to Atlanta, did the interview, got the job. And on uh, June the 2nd, I was the first person to broadcast for CNN from New York. Wow. And that was 42 years ago. Wow, wow, wow. Then That's quite the journey. Oh, I haven't finished. Yeah. <laughs> How much time you got? That there, only Jason? takes us to, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I stayed there for twenty years. Uh, and then I resigned. In Atlanta? Were you in No, Facebook? I was in New York. Oh, you were in New York. The old okay. World Trade Center. Yeah. And then I resigned. Ted Turner had walked into the Washington office on Ash Wednesday and had mocked all those employees who had ashes on their forehead. Mm. Yeah. And said, what are you, Jesus freaks? I didn't like that. I am a Christian. I don't like that kind of thing. And my job wasn't going very well anyway. And I resigned. I walked mm. away. Mm. And I'm very glad I did. It was a um, personal and professional decision, which uh, I think worked against me professionally. But I think it was a personal right thing to do. Well, good for you. But that's got to be hard coming home that day because you didn't have a backup, did you? What did you or did you? I mean, No, I didn't. No. So I, I was in the speaking business for a while. You can make some money doing that, and that's fine. 
But then I got picked up by uh, the Wall Street Journal. Oh. They wanted to put their editorial board on television, and they hired me to do it. So we did the Wall Street Journal report, Wall Street yeah. Journal editorial report, yeah. for about a year. And then I left and went uh, full-time with Fox. That's wow. my story. And you've been here ever since. Ever since. It took a while to get that out, didn't it? <laughs> that's that's quite the journey. But see, that's what I mean. You have those types of experiences, and and uh, I mean, you you got a number of kids and grandkids now at this point, too, right? I have six children and uh, eleven grandchildren. Wow. Honestly, Jason, I think I've lived a full life. It's been amazing. A full life. I, I I think that's a blessing, uh, and just um, you can die happy on that, can't you? Well, um, you know, it was interesting. We were sitting on set one time, and and uh, we were talking about John Deere tractors. And I said, "Oh, I got a John Deere tractor," knowing it would, I'd poke you a little bit because mine's a riding lawnmower to cut my grass. But you had a real one. Yeah, I do. I do. Well, we've got a farm, um, upstate New York, about three hours out of Manhattan. Uh, we grow trees, hardwood, uh, hardwood timber. Are these like um, Christmas trees? What no, are they? No, no, no. Black cherry. Red oak, white oak, hard maple. There's uh, basically furniture and flooring. Really? Timber. Yeah. It's quite profitable. And there's good tax breaks involved. And that's my pride and in And you like it, don't you? Love it. Is that, you know, I, I, I ask people all the time, what, what's that other thing? You know, for me, when I want to get away, clear my mind, forget about everything, just get focus on, and it's more than a hobby. You know, it's, you know, the, people have hobbies. I, I, I consider this more than a hobby. But I like outdoor and wildlife photography. Okay. I absolutely love it. My mom had been a photographer when she's gr- she shot like weddings and did things like that. Hot shot photography way back in the, you know, 70s. And and um, and I still remember going into that. She converted this, this bathroom into, you know, where they would process film. And the younger generation isn't even going to understand this. But as I say it, I can smell it. Where you'd create a dark room that had this little red light, and you'd process the film, put it into the chemicals, you'd hang it up, you'd dry it, and then you'd have the the film strip, and you'd see that. And so I still remember that. But I, I like getting out. Is that is that kind of the other thing for you to go out and work on the farm? and Yes. Go grow uh, trees, process them, and... Well, to be honest, uh, it's the most spiritual part of my life. Yeah. When you're walking through the woods alone and you can hear the wind in the trees and you have that feeling of God's glory, which is the way I prefer to term it, that's a, a deeply spiritual moment yeah. in, in your life. Moments. And it's, it just happens. I don't know why. See, I have, I, have that, I have that same experience photographing wildlife. You know, I... Yeah reside primarily in, in Utah. I mean, I have to travel a number of times coming to Fox. We're here in New York recording this, but I live in Utah. That's, but I, I go to between Utah and Idaho, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, and I get out there and I can find an elk or a bear or a, you know some big game and I'm following it, you know, safe distance. I've learned to protect myself, sure. but you're out there by yourself. Yes. It's a little scary. And there's a moose yeah. and, uh, any one of these things could kill you if they want you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's something very spiritual about that as yes. well. And it's a separation from yeah. our day-to-day lives, professional lives, and, and uh, city lives, if you like. It's a separation. Yeah. And that's very important. It, it is a blessing to have such a property, isn't it? Yeah. Really? No, it is. And it, it, it's a great There's some about the outdoors. And this is where I wish the youth would have these types of experiences. I mean, you had it like 
exponentially off the chart, uh, traveling the world and going out. And I think young people need to have those experiences outside of... Yes. But remember, what I did way back in the 70s, traveling around the world, you can't do that yeah, now. Yeah, you can't, can you? You think you can go, travel through Iran, Afghanistan, no Pakistan, India, Nepal, Burma? You can't do that. No, I... You know, my passport and I, being in Congress and some of my, I, I traveled to places I thought, oh, you know, I teased my friends. I said, okay, I got some on my list that you'll never have. You, you'll you never go to Libya. Sorry, folks. And I've been there twice, Whoa. you know, you know, things like that. But you're naming those countries. And I think, yeah, I've been there, I've been there. And I haven't been to Iran, but I've been off the coast of Iran on a, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, in the Eisenhower Carrier Group, about that fifteen qualifies. miles, you know, and you can it's right over there, and they're right. sending boats at you, yeah. you know. That's but that's different than traversing and and not knowing where you're going to sleep that night, right? That's true. That's true. I spent yeah. most of this time sleeping out in the desert. That's that's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about snakes. It never occurred to me. Did you ever see one? No. <laughs> if I'd seen one, life would have been different. Yeah. <laughs> Very different indeed, yeah. Go, now, you love football, yep. F-U-T-B-O-L, the, yep. the real game. Did you play that growing up? Yeah, I played it. Yeah. Uh, not for my high school. We played rugby in my high school. So I played rugby, but my real interest was uh, was soccer. When I first came to America, uh, you lose track of football, soccer, call right. it what you will. You lose track of it because it's not a really big deal in America. Right. And I was throwing a football around with my sons, uh, getting into American football. But then, uh, let's see, about maybe five, six years ago, all of a sudden, Premier League soccer... I mean, big-time teams, Man U, Man yeah. City, Arsenal, you name it. You could see it on American television yeah. easily, yeah. every game. Yeah. And that picks up your interest all over again. So now I'm an avid Premier League fan, and I mark my day in accordance with the games that I'm going to see. Oh, first of all, I thought the World Cup was exceptionally Best. well done. Yeah. Um, but I would much rather watch a Premier League game than I would sitting down watching an NFL game or anything else. Really? And I played football in college. I was a place kicker, but that's because I played soccer my whole life growing up. Right. And I love it. I just, I, and you're right, the proximity, the ability to watch the games. And now these reality series, I don't know if you've ever watched these. Like, there are some really good reality seasons. I, See, I, should, I confess to you, Jason, I've not seen Ed, uh, what's his name? Ed, uh, no, not Ed. Uh, all, of, all or Nothing. Is is one of them? Ted that, Lasso. Oh, Ted Lasso. I've not seen that. Oh, it's should, so good. It. You would love it. And I'm not. You're going to binge watch it when we. <laughs> you're going to be out there with your trees, and you're going to say, <laughs> "I wonder what Ted Lasso is doing today." And I've not seen the Wigan story either. You know, Wigan was taken over by some crypto guys in America. Yeah. By this little tiny Wrexham. Club. Wrexham. 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 Yes. Not Wigan. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wrexham. Right. Uh, uh, um, Rob McElhinney, whatever is this last I'm sorry, I'm going to get in trouble for not for, for not. For, and and it, it's just it's in Ryan Reynolds, and it is a really good story about re- how the whole town, the whole city yep. revolves around the club, yep. and how they do it so differently. I wish American sport would pick up on how England and and throughout Europe, but really in England, how they actually develop these teams and have developmental teams. It's just, it's something really special and different. I think we could learn a lot. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. You turned out, okay, so you go to a pretty liberal school, but, how, uh, so but you're a, a pretty conservative school. person. I am now. Well, and what I'll happened? Tell you, I'll tell you that? what happened. Yeah. I got on a plane. Um, 
I forget, is in, in India, and flew to Hong Kong. So as flying from basically a socialist bureaucratic society, India, and flying to a free market, uh, dynamic capitalist society right. like Hong Kong. And this is 1974, something like that, 70, yeah. 74, 75. And the, the difference was so striking. Everything worked. In yeah. India, things didn't work that right. well. Yeah. But in Hong Kong, oh, Lord, I mean, it was fantastic. And it was dynamic. It was bustling. I very quickly adopted free market economics. This thing works. Capitalism works. And I thrived. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Stuart Varney right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. You know, I went to Hong Kong uh, five or six times back in the 90s. And I I just wish I could bring my wife there now. I mean, now you... Now it's not the same. It's not the same. I no. wouldn't. I wouldn't dare, you know, go over there and spend time. No, and I, I don't I, think you could. Um, I mean, you, you, you have a security problem. Yeah. I do. Yeah. A fox anchor. Yeah. In Hong Kong yeah. today. Now nah, you're you really the testing the, the waters right there. Yeah. yeah. But it used to be that you could go in Hong Kong, and it really was. I mean, oh. the size of the buildings, buildings, the proximity, the hustle, the bustle, twenty four seven. I mean. It was beautiful. It was dynamic. It had the craziest airport that you ever land in. Oh, where you Kai Tak. Yes. That? Yes. The planes used to bank around the office buildings to land. You were really literally something. looking at people hanging out their laundry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You could see the. You could see individual. When people. I was there, there was actually there was an accident, and one of the planes went into the drink. It went into the. It went into the water. And they never pulled it out, so you could see the tail fin of the airplane <laughs> while you're taxiing. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> Either to Hong landing Kong. or taking, you're looking at this plane that had not been unsuccessful and was in the water. Why they didn't take that thing out? <laughs> it sat there for a long time, but it was for, it, very memorable to me as somebody who's put on an awful lot of miles. Okay, Jason, you tell me, what am I going to do now? I'm 74 years old. I'm still gainfully employed, yes. but I am slowing down a little bit. Should I retire? No, you're not slowing down. Give me a break. You, you love the hustle and bustle. You got, you got everything moving, right? You got grandkids. You got trees. You got, you got the right balance in your life. I don't see you slowing down. Well, I am. You love it. You have. I've seen you. I don't know how many times on set, and you love it. It brings in a whole energy. Uh, but, but and it's working. But I always want to establish a um, harmonious set a, a good feeling in the studio i yeah. want to walk in and have every i like everybody yeah. i'm not having a beef with anybody we're here to have a good time and entertain our viewers that's what we try to do yeah but that passion is would if it was fading away or non-existent because you that would be because you didn't care but you do care you know what people I want i do you're I, i've seen you at those commercials time and time again like that that graphic did not work. No, that did not explain the situation. Or there, you would ask for one ahead of time, and they would, and you'd look at it and say, "Forget it, blow past that one." That's why the show's so successful, and but you know that real life live rock and roll. Yeah, that's what it is. No, and it, it's a dynamic market that's happening all the time. Right? No day is going to be the same, and that's 
you have to really be nimble to be on television and you on do. radio. And, and yes, you do. You, you, particularly on television, because things are happening and don't happen, and then you have technical problems, you have cameras that go down, yep. somebody does something crazy, oh. breaking news, yep. you know, horrific things. Yep. So, But the three hours goes very quickly. Oh, it does, and that's a sign that it's working. When you got news and you're bopping and rocking and rolling, it goes. It just flies yeah. by. It does. All right, so I have some rapid questions I have to ask you. Okay. Not too rapid. Okay. Take your time here. Uh, first concert you attended. Oh, good one. That would have been Eric Clapton in Oakland, California, 1970-something or other. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah, but I had a seat in the nosebleed section. It wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, my parents tell this story about going to the Beatles concert at the at, oh. in uh, in the San Francisco area. I think it was at the Cow Palace, I think they called it. Yeah. And I remember them telling me about this. Jason, we got to see the Beatles. Problem was, we didn't hear the Beatles right. because the screaming was so loud yep. and the... The amplification, the speakers back in the day were not nearly what they are. It said, all we did is watch this screaming crowd, then come out doing their thing. Yeah, We never heard a tune that happened. <laughs> That's why they stopped touring. Yeah. Because they just didn't enjoy it any longer. It wasn't for the music. I think the Beatles, I've watched, I'm a huge fan. Just, Me too. I, I mean, it's, I look at the people that I want to meet in life. And I think Sir Paul McCartney would be one that I'd want to break bread with. Brilliant guy. At the age of 80, he could Have you still... ever met him? No, I haven't. At the age of 80, he still did a three-hour live set. Oh, yeah. Just which is remarkable. Just it out. Yeah. Remarkable. He teaches a class about music writing. And I think he still does it. And part of this documentary or news show or whatever I saw, he teaches a class. And... Whoa. And, and Can I get into that? And, well, and so they showed him on how he writes a song. And it, it was just, I was just like, wow, you are something special. That's something. Okay, so if you came home one day and you said, uh, you know, guess what? Family, we got somebody exciting coming over, dead or alive. Anybody in history could come over and break bread with you and share a meal. Who would you, who would you want that to be? Margaret Thatcher. Really? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. A, a wonderful woman. Did you ever get to meet her? I did. And I did. Why I'll tell, tell you a quick story. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were, I was with CNN at the time. Uh-huh. And um, Margaret Thatcher, we were in Washington, D.C. There was a huge conference of world leaders and diplomats from all around the world, including Margaret Thatcher. And we were due to interview Margaret Thatcher. So we took her off into this small studio side room. And there were the big hot shots of CNN all lined up waiting to meet the uh, sure. Margaret yeah, Thatcher, and I was with her. And um, she, right, I was at the head of the line there, and Margaret Thatcher walked up to me right in front of all the top brass at CNN, and she said, oh, Mr. Varney, yeah. I watch you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Priceless. It was contract time. Yeah. I was in. <laughs> Those well, she days. certainly gravitated to your history, I'm sure, and your and your. I'm sure your prowess and all that, but well, that accent had to be fairly appealing for her. Yeah, I guess so. I guess but so. explain to people, there's a whole younger generation who doesn't remember how incredible she was. I mean, she took on some... She, it, she was the leader of that conservative movement there, and it wouldn't have happened without her. Well, she was a woman, the first female prime minister of Great Britain, right. and she never mentioned it. She wasn't some kind of feminist standout who was breaking the glass ceiling. 
she just she's, wasn't like that at all. She right. was she was the prime minister. Right. That's who she was. Identity politics didn't count in those days. And even in a fairly conservative society like Britain, no problem uh, electing Margaret Thatcher four times, as I recall. Well, each the, the first couple of times was a landslide majority. Couple other questions. Yep. Unique talent that nobody knows about. Something you can do that, like eh, nobody knows, I can do that. I'm pretty good at. It. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know until recently that you were like a tree farmer. So that <laughs> that that counts. And you could drive a tractor. But anything else on that list? Unique talent. Um, I know the capitals of most countries in the world. At world. And please don't test me, Jason, because <laughs> I might fail on your podcast. Well, you tested me, and I failed, so, so I thought not? it was pretty good too. <laughs> it's my privilege. <laughs> Um, that that's funny. Uh, pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? Nope. Yeah, good. I see. There's a reason we all love Stuart Varney. <laughs> uh, best advice you ever got? Forgive me for taking time on this one, but um, I was once thinking of uh, leaving TV news and becoming a pitchman, an advertising guy, and a professional came up to me and he said. Don't you dare. Don't leave what you're doing now. Stay with it and stay with it a long time because you can climb that tree and you will, you'll do all right. And that was good advice. That was good advice. Because it was I, 25 years ago. I think that's always sometimes you wonder, should I get out? Should I move? I mean, the best people have options, right? They have options to do other things. But sometimes sticking with it and staying past that part of the uncertainty. So you asked me that question, what should I do, you know? Hmm. You don't get off the train too early either. I'm going to be 75 in a couple of months. Yeah. Do you feel like you're 75? Because you don't look 75. I, I do feel like it. You do feel yes, like sir, it. Yes, sir, I am slowing down. I am. I know. I know. Well, you can slow down a little bit, but you, <laughs> you don't strike me as one who lacks for energy. or. My, my problem, Jason, is if I don't do TV, what do I do? Right. I mean, I mean yeah. it's fun being walking in the forest. It's fun being with the grandchildren, the children, and uh, Naples and Florida. And right, Cape. right. Oh, it's all fun. But where's my sense of purpose? Right. Am I just going to wait to die? Yeah. I don't have any hobbies. I think some people retire too early, and they, and they do. They struggle with it because you wake up one day. I heard uh, Colin Powell, who's passed away, he, he, he would tell an amazing story. You know, there he was at the pinnacle of power commanding troops and he tells this great story about how and then he retired and he said so that monday came along and his wife had things to do and she took off and he said i got in the car and i had not driven a car in like decades <laughs> and he said and i'm driving down and i'm just thinking mcdonald's or burger king mcdonald's <laughs> or burger king <laughs> colin powell <laughs> and normally i'm looking at should we move ten thousand troops here should we you know <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't think, you know, it was a fascinating story, but you'll always find something. You'll always be in demand. People want to be around happy people. True. And people want to be around people that, you know, bring energy and they bring competency to understanding what you're, what you're doing. So huh. I hope you don't, but you know what, when you, when you do make that decision, um, I'll tell you what it is. Okay. You, you'll tell me what, <laughs> no, but you'll, you'll, you'll also figure it out. Oh, I will. You know, you have different yep. stages in life. Yep. Thanks so much for joining us. You're very generous with your time and look forward to joining on the show soon. But thank you so much for joining us on Jason in the House. Jason, thank you very much indeed for having me. Uh, Great privilege. Thank you. thank you. You're listening to Jason in the House. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Jason in the House podcast. I can't thank Stuart Varney enough for taking the time and sitting down. I thought that was really, it was very fun. It was very fun. I Please uh, rate this. Would really appreciate that. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast as well. And I want to remind you that you can listen to ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Uh, Again, rate the program. Join us again next week. We'll have another exciting guest. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.